invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue in this series, what it means uh, to be a Christian. Uh, And Paul has been delighting in these wonderful gospel truths of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 2, he's been focusing on, um, ended up talking about the church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and and a building that God is building, a place where God dwells. That's what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, um, fresh from just reflecting on all that God has done, begins chapter 3 by saying, for this reason I, Paul, and, and then sort of gets off on a, tr- on a tangent. Uh, and uh, he never really finishes that sentence but picks it up again in verse 14, and we'll, Lord willing, look at that next time. But what we have here in the first 13 verses is a bit of a digression, where Paul just marvels at his own ministry, marvels at uh, the church, the, the glory of the, of the church, the mystery of the church, and then also just at the wonders of God's grace. And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning in verses 1 through 13. Let's give our attention to God's Word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Spirit of God, we thank you that you've been given precisely to help us understand the things that you've inspired. And I pray, Lord, that you would then speak these uh, truths to our heart, that we might see the wonder of what it means to be a Christian. And and Lord, if we are not a Christian this morning, uh, that we would, by your spirit, uh, come to sense that it would be the most wonderful thing and the most necessary thing in our life that we would be counted as a, a child of God, a member of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, do that beautiful work today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a, a, a glorious, confounding mystery uh, to the grace of God. I uh, marvel at how the grace of God consistently overturns and opposes human expectations. I remember my shock when I uh, heard that Ted Bundy had professed faith the night before he was electrocuted, and there was a minister there who who testifies that it was an authentic profession of faith along with 
confession of his guilt and sin and, and pleading the mercy of Christ. Uh, Ted Bundy, if you remember, was guilty of murdering dozens of young girls. He was a vicious, evil monster of a man. And my first thought was, uh, I'm not sure I appreciate the thought of God uh, giving grace uh, to a man like Bundy. Uh, it, it feels much more appropriate and right that uh, Bundy should be in eternal hell for the horrors of his crimes. Well, that's exactly how Jews would have felt upon uh, hearing the news that the, the sexually perverse, godless, idol-worshiping Gentiles were now fellow heirs and partakers of the same Abrahamic promise. Uh, their first thought would have been, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, this is precisely, you see, why the Jews so hated the gospel. Uh, they simply refused to accept that the God of Moses, the God of the Ten Commandments, would show grace to godless pagans who happily broke all of them. It didn't make sense, it didn't seem right, and they were deeply offended. Well, the confounding nature of God's grace, of course, is manifestly um, revealed in the life of the Apostle Paul. This man had been a volcano of self-righteous hatred and violence against the church. He uh, eagerly hunted them down. He happily oversaw their death. He was a terrifying terrorist, a force of evil. And I am sure that many believers would have much rather have heard that the ground had opened up and swallowed Paul alive, like it had the, the uh, Korah, uh, than hear that he was saved by grace. But the confounding nature of grace is precisely its glory, and that's what Paul cherishes as he writes uh, these verses here, 1 through 13. As I said, Paul is taking a, a spirit-inspired digression as he begins uh, to say, uh, for this reason, I, I, um, and he'll finish that thought in verse 14, uh, for this reason I bow my knees, he's going to pray for them, but, but as he thinks about the church, as he thinks about the grace of God, as he thinks about his own ministry, he just wants to pause and marvel and be astonished, and be awakened, and, and uh, to, remember, to remind the church of just the wonders of God's grace and the mystery of the gospel. And so we'll look this morning then at these three things, uh, the, the uh, captive apostle, and the mystery of the church, and the riches of grace. Uh, Paul, in these verses, talks about his ministry. He begins, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. There's a great deal of irony in that uh, statement. Paul, you remember, had been Saul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, leader of the pack in a sense, uh, Saul had hated two things in his life with a perfect, seething hatred. Jesus and Gentiles. That's what Paul hated with a perfect hatred. And now, he is gladly a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. You just have to smile at God's ways. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a really significant phrase because, humanly speaking, anyone would have said, Paul was a prisoner of Rome. He's being held in a Roman jail. 
He has Roman guards. He is under Roman authority, Roman law, awaiting trial in a Roman court. Anyone, uh, if you asked uh, what's going up uh, on with the Apostle Paul, they'd say, well, he's, he's a prisoner of Rome. That is not how Paul saw it. He was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Christ. So that his imprisonment in a Roman jail was simply a part of his imprisonment to Jesus. You see, he'd been a prisoner of Jesus ever since his conversion. When Saul had met uh, the glorious Lord on the road to Damascus, and Jesus had just punctured his self-righteous life with, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul had been captured, taken captive by Jesus Christ at that moment to do the will of Christ. The persecutor had become the prisoner of Jesus, gladly now suffering for the cause of Christ. And you have to just look at that and marvel. What what power in the world is, is able to do that except grace? Nothing can do that. How are you going to change a man who who seethes with hatred against Jesus and Gentiles and make him a happy prisoner of Christ suffering on behalf of Gentiles. Only grace can do that. Nothing else but the power of grace. And Paul wants them to know that he, this is what I'm doing. I'm suffering on your behalf, behalf of you Gentiles. He is a steward of God's grace to the, to the Gentiles. That, that's his specific calling. Um, Jesus told him when, when he called him to ministry, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And Paul references that in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Only grace could have made... Uh, the persecutor of the church, a man who hated Gentiles with all of his heart, uh, make him love the ones he had once despised and willing happily to suffer, to suffer so that he could minister to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, Paul uses a word here to show how he thought of himself. He he says, I was made a minister of the gospel, verse 7. And when we think of a minister, we think of someone, well, standing up front and preaching a sermon, Uh, someone who's been ordained. Uh, someone who has maybe a, uh, a sense of standing uh, in, in the church. Well, that's not, that's not how Paul means it. It's just the word diakonos, which means servant. Uh, the person who, if you say, hey, I need you to go do that, they do that. Uh, that's what Paul is. He's a lowly servant serving his Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of of the Gentiles. God has called this vicious murderer to be a messenger of grace. And what what better advocate than than Paul? He can go to the most pagan, vile audience, and Paul can say with absolute conviction, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Wonderful wisdom of God to choose Paul or Saul the terrorist to be Paul the ambassador of grace. And we just should marvel at the grace of God, the beautiful, wonderful grace of God in the life, in the life of this man. But Paul wants us to also notice the mystery of the church. Uh, he uses the word mystery four times 
in these verses, uh, but he doesn't mean what we usually mean by the word. Uh, when we talk about a mystery, we talk about something that we can't explain, can't understand. Where do all the socks go, right? It, how's it possible? It's a mystery. No one knows. That's how we use it. It's not how Paul used it. Paul uses it to describe something that was once hidden, but now has been made known. Um, so, boys and girls, if, if I take something and hide it behind my back and I say, okay, what do I have behind my back? Well, unless you can see right through me, um, you don't know what I have behind my back. It's hidden. But if I take it out, well, now you can see exactly what it is. Now it's, now it's been revealed. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Something that once had been hidden and now has been revealed. There was something, Paul says, that God was hiding in the Old Testament, notice uh, verse 5, it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Something that God was hiding. And it's now been revealed by His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And Paul's ministry in verse 9 is to bring to light, bring, bring out and show to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So God was hiding something in past ages, and now it's been revealed, and Paul's task is to explain what this mystery is. Well, well, so what is it? What's this thing that God had been hiding? Well, Paul says in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you might hear that and say, Okay, it's kind of anticlimactic. Uh, we know this already. We're used to the idea of Gentiles being fellow heirs with God's saints. But in Paul's day, it is a bombshell. And it is highly offensive to practicing Jews. Highly offensive. The idea that, that perverse pagan Gentiles would be heirs of the promises made to them in Abraham, and that Gentiles could be co-heirs of that promise without becoming Jews was a violation of their core beliefs, a repudiation of their identity and their most cherished convictions. This is what through, so when, when Paul talks in Acts chapter 21, 22, about his arrest, how he ended up in the Roman prison, uh, this kind of started it off when Paul had, was talking to the Jewish crowd, and he said, and Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's when they started throwing things in the air and ripping off their cloaks and were going to kill them. That's what set him off. And, uh, and the early church struggled with this as well. Remember, uh, Peter didn't understand this. Not until Acts chapter 11 when he has this vision of a sheep being let down from heaven and all these unclean animals. And God says, oh, Peter, get up and eat. And, and it happens three times. Peter's, Peter's a little slow. So it had, God makes the point. And then he sends him to a Gentile, Cornelius. And he says, preach the gospel to, to the Gentiles. And, and he does. And the Holy Spirit falls. And Peter's blown away. And, I, I, well, we better baptize them. 
because the spirit that fell on us has fallen on them. You see, God is slowly opening the eyes of his people to this glorious new thing. They hadn't imagined it was possible. John Stott says, what neither the Old Testament nor Jesus revealed was the radical nature of God's plan which was that the theocracy of the Jewish nation under God's rule would be terminated and replaced by a new international community, the church. And that Jews and Gentiles would be incorporated into Christ and His church on equal terms without any distinction. Everybody comes in the same way, on their knees. Everybody comes in the same way, confessing their sin confessing their bankruptcy. Stock continues, it was this complete union of Jews, Gentiles, and Christ which was radically new and which God revealed to Paul overcoming his entrenched Jewish prejudice. God was making something the world had never seen and what people had never imagined. God was making between two people groups that hated each other and existed because there was this dividing wall of hostility because of the the laws and ordinances of the Old Testament. God had broken that down and now had taken these two people, these two peoples, and united them in Christ so that there's a new thing, a thing called the New Testament church. That's the mystery, the glorious mystery of the gospel. You have perverse uh, pagan Gentiles and proud self-righteous Jews, sinners every one of them, now made in Jesus co-heirs and co-members and co-partakers. Paul just emphasizes the the with in, in in the Greek. We're with one another, assimilated into one body, one new thing. As God gathers sinners from every tongue, tribe, and nation, economic and social class, makes them one new entity, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, co-members of His body on earth, co-partakers in His promises. That's the mystery of the church. Now, we need to just acknowledge the church has not always uh, been faithful to that vision, has it? Uh, There have been times when the church has, we've segregated ourselves and and, uh, isolated ourselves uh, we, we've identified ourselves by things other than one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And this is a call for us to acknowledge that, to repent of that, uh, to, to admit that there is, uh, there is not a single defining characteristic about that, about us, that unites us like the gospel. That has to be the issue. Can't be our political party, can't be our, our schooling choice, can't be uh, our work, can't be anything color of our skin, our economic class, the the thing that makes us the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, the wonder of the gospel in Him. Well, Paul delights in the church because it is what God has eternally purposed. This is God's plan all along, verse 11. This is what He'd planned from eternity. And that's that's a word we need to hear today because people feel very free today to dismiss the church. You'll hear people say, I love Jesus, I don't do church. I follow Jesus, uh, I got nothing to do with the church. Uh, people who will profess to be Christians, and I'll ask them, oh, well, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. Um, we just need to realize that doesn't fit in here. That's completely contrary to what the Spirit is telling us here. 
Paul would have, uh, he just would have been utterly, absolutely aghast, <laughs> offended. Wait a minute, this is God's plan from eternity as the church? And you want nothing to do with the church? And you're going to call yourself a Christian? It, it doesn't work. It, it can't possibly work. The Spirit, you see, the Spirit will never move someone to say, I follow Jesus, I don't do church. That will not be the Holy Spirit. You can take it on the basis of the Word of God. The Spirit will always move someone to say, and I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And I worship with the church of Jesus Christ. I serve with the church of Jesus Christ. I pray with the church of Jesus Christ. I have brothers and sisters whom I love in the church of Jesus Christ. And the great joy of my life is to belong to Jesus and to be a member of His church. That was God's plan from eternity. That's what it means to be a Christian. And Paul delights in this wonderful new thing that God has created in the world. And notice, God has a purpose for the church. Verse, 11, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church. God is displaying, friends, the glories of His inscrutable manifold wisdom in the heavenly places. Someone has said that the history of the church is graduate school for angels. You see, angels live in the presence of God, don't they? And they see God, and they know things about God that we don't really understand. But there are things about God they, they can't possibly understand apart from God explaining it to them in you. How would they know what grace is? How would they know what patience, the, the, the patience of God? How would they understand the kindness of God? What would, what, how would they be able to, to describe the love of God were it not for the church of Jesus Christ? And so angels in heaven, you see, marvel at the church as they see the wisdom, the grace, the kindness, the patience, the love, the justice of God being manifested in the church. What a wonderful thing to be the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's a stunning thing. And, and you think of it, particularly in light of, I mean, the church is so often weak, so easily led astray by false teaching, so often divided and quickly turning to worldliness, even at its best. We're full of hurting, fearful, sinful people, so little account in the world. So, so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, not many of you were wise according to the world's standards, not many powerful not many of noble birth. Any princes here? Dukes? Anyone? Not too many. But, you see, it's precisely how God magnifies His glory. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. That's the wisdom of God, that He saves, rescues the lowly things, the weak things, in order to shame human boasting, and to exalt the glory of His grace. So friend, don't ever dismiss or despise the true church of Jesus Christ. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode. 
For, he, for her, right, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. To her, my hopes and joys be given till, joy, till, no, till toils and cares shall end. That's how it goes. It's the precious blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. It's an eternal testament to the grace of God. Marvel at the church of Jesus Christ. Christians are church people. Christians, finally, are those who receive the riches of grace. Paul uh, can't help but talking about the gospel throughout these verses. He talks about the lavish riches, right? He, he gets to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, the Jews, if you would just go to the man on the street uh, and ask them uh, what they think about uh, God showing favor to the Jews, you see, the Jews were convinced that the Gentiles were utterly, absolutely, indisputably, irredeemably undeserving of any of God's favor. And they were exactly right. That's exactly the case. And that's why it's called grace. What the Jews didn't understand is they were in the exact same position. You see, grace is God lavishing His best riches upon the least deserving through the death of Jesus Christ. And so great are the riches to sinners in Christ that, that Paul says they're unsearchable. The, the word means uh, they're past finding out. You can't track it down. There's so many different trails and paths, and, and they go on uh, in, in places you can't imagine. You can never track down their, their reach. The grace is so unsearchable. Just think about your own life. I think one of the joys in, in heaven will, will be tracking the grace of God to us, of, of, of seeing the unbelievable multitude of ways that God lavished grace, keeping us from sin, protecting us from our own stupidity, um, protecting us from the devil's attack over here, uh, giving us this blessing here. Uh, all of it by grace. All of it by grace. It's unsearchable. And we need to just remember that, that that rich grace is given to every Christian. I think we can be tempted to assume that the lavish grace of God goes to the, well, the good people, the people, the good Christians, right? The more devoted Christians. They're more full of the Spirit, more faithful in their devotions, more evidently godly. But Paul wants the church to know that the, the grace of God, the riches of God are poured out on all of the children of God because they're all by grace all through Jesus. And the chief blessing of grace is that we have boldness and access to God himself through Christ. Verse 12, he talks about Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You see, friends, the door to the throne room of heaven is far wider open than we would ever imagine. In Christ, we have boldness and access. We can go to the very throne room of our Father and say, Father, Father in heaven, this is your child. This is my need. This is my fear. Father, uh, this is my desire. Jesus says, kids, go to the Father, right? Ask him anything. Go, pray without ceasing. Ask in my name because in my name the door's been opened. Christians should be praying people, shouldn't we? Enjoy with, with faith, with, with, with boldness, because we have access. 
And all because of Jesus. You see, we come, we come to the Father united to Jesus Christ, loved by Christ, redeemed, justified, adopted, beloved heirs, all in Jesus. There's nothing lacking. Well, friends, what does this matter for our life today? I, I think God has given us this text just, to just marvel. To just stand back and marvel at what God has done for you. We're the Gentiles. We're the Gentiles who've been made co-members, co-participants, and co-partakers of the promises. We didn't have to be. Sheer grace of God that sought us out and brought us into the family of God. We belong to the church of Jesus Christ, the thing that God planned from all eternity. The means by which God is displaying the glory of His wisdom to the heavenly beings. The people that are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be a Christian. And we are the recipients of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. I've heard someone say that the happiest people are the people who live with wonder and awe. The people who have their eyes open to see the things that are beautiful and glorious and true and full of honor. And the people who, who have the ability to, to see it and stop and marvel, those are the happiest people. This should make us very happy. If we can just marvel at it, be amazed. Can you believe, friend, can you believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Marvel, praise Him. This is what it means to be a Christian. What a wonderful thing. Are you one? If not, what are you waiting for? All this glory can be yours freely in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we get busy, we get distracted, and we get cynical and complacent, and I thank you, Father, that sometimes you just set us aside and you open up the storybook of the gospel and, and show us the beauties and the glories that are found there. I thank you for Paul, this, this wretched man who became a happy servant of the gospel and prisoner of Jesus. And that you used him, Lord, to make the gospel known to us, Gentiles. And I thank you so much for the church of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the glory that belongs to the church. And we thank again of our brothers and sisters all over the world, particularly those who are suffering. And I thank you, Father, that is through your church, right here included, through Harvest Church, you are magnifying your wisdom and your grace and your kindness and your patience. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would be so thrilled to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And knowing, Lord, that all the glory goes to you, for we came bankrupt and purchased by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would relish in the fact that we are the recipients of the unsearchable riches of grace, and may we live in that truth. May we happily lean into the access that we have so that we might approach your throne with confidence. Oh, Father, thank you for making us Christians. To Jesus Christ belongs all the praise, and all God's people said, amen. Let's respond as we stand together and sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
Now receive the benediction of your Lord. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Good morning, boys and girls. Come on up to the front. We get to keep singing praises. We're going to start out with Mighty, Mighty Savior. But come on up to the front. Just say. 
Amen. And now we get to sing, The Lord is my salvation. The grace of God has reached for me. We heard about that this morning. So let's sing that.